Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol serves as Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and also is the Chairman of the Board of the National Council on Aging. And we're delighted uh, every week to bring you on Caregiver SOS On Air everything you need to know about caregiving and a whole lot more. Carol, a nationally known gerontologist, spends a lot of her days working on the kinds of issues we talk about on this show. And I am so excited. You found an incredible guest who will be coming on in just a few minutes, David Petrino. Yes. Um, so, I, well, I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say that, um, you know, my talk about technology and, and robots and new, new things, I, mean, I really think that you stay tuned because this is a story of hope. So for those of you in particular, if you uh, care for someone with Parkinson's or know somebody with Parkinson's, but it's not just that. There's so much bad news today that this is a, a story full of hope, and I, I'm so excited that David is able to join us. Dr. Petrino in just a few minutes. But first, speaking of new things, you recently wrote a column, as you do every month, uh, a column on new things. Yeah, I, I wrote a column you know, about my new thing. And I, I was, this was, it was a column about because my new thing is taking a Zumba class. I, I joined the Y and I found a Zumba instructor that's a lot of fun. And it's something that I look forward to and I hate it when I miss it every week, you know, and I, and so I'm going twice a week. Now, and, is this in lieu of flamingo dancing, which you well, were doing? Well, I'm still doing the flamingo. I'm still working that in, but this is more aerobic. So, you know, lost some weight, toned up, met some new people. And I really found that it's kind of like our senior centers that, yeah, I, I've had a gym membership for years, but the Y has a different vibe to it. The people there, you know, they're, um, very community minded. It's a lot of women who really support each other, and they, some of them are caregivers, and some of them are professionals working, and some of them are retired and they're older. But there's a lot of you know hugging and patting on the back and encouraging, and and there's a couple of women who have come back from cancer and are now exercising. And I'm sure those stories were at the gym, but. It didn't really create a space for those kinds of conversations. And so what I'm finding fascinating is is it's really what we talk about for our caregivers all the time. You know, number one is this this socialization, this support. So you're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too busy. You're never too anything that you don't benefit from that interaction um, and a little bit of, you know, love and support from other people. And these are people that, don't, you know, we don't really know each other very well, but it's nice to get a pat on the back and an add a, you know, add a girl and wasn't that fun and just kind of that group experience. Zumba is incredible cardio. Well, it is. It's nonstop. It is non. It is nonstop. But for those of you who might be afraid of something that's nonstop, so, you know, it's a lot of Latin dancing and a little... The salsa and cumbia, um, and so you know you can put as as much or as little into it as as you can or want to. Uh, so there's people who really hit it hard, and there are other people that kind of dance around and enjoy the music, and and all that's fine. But it's an hour of of pretty nonstop 
dancing. And, and so that's, you know, it's not exercise when it's, to me. When it's when fun. It's, when it's fun and it's dancing. And so, you know, I guess my, and what I talk about in the column is it, that's really what, that's my wish. All the caregivers that are out there, if I could give everyone that one little thing, it would be something like that where they find they find something in their life, regardless of their caregiving situation, that they look forward to and brings them that much joy. And, you know, maybe that's a book, a new book, and maybe you only have time to read one page at a time. So you slip in a page in the morning, and you maybe have time for a page in the afternoon, and maybe three pages before you go to sleep at night. Maybe that's all you can get through. But if it's a really good book, you're going to look forward and you're, to that next page, and you're going to want to know what happens next. What is amazing to me, having seen a lot of Zumba, I've emceed a lot of events where they have Zumba as part of the event, uh, it's the Zumba instructors who are doing triple what those who are dancing with them do and they're talking and, and never seem out of breath i know because you just get in such good shape you just unbelievable get so the exercise is fantastic but if your exercise isn't your thing and you're a caregiver you know it might be that we, now you can binge watch and watch shows whenever you can right you can get on itunes you can uh, download them from libraries you don't even have to pay for them a lot of times, maybe it's a house of cards if you're into political intrigue. I mean, there's so many different genres. And you can go – we're watching Big Bang Theory. I'd never watched Big Bang Theory. My, You know, it's on its 12th season, and I'd never seen any of them. These are 20-minute shows. Yeah, because they have the commercials out of them. Because, yeah, it's all – it's all you download. It's all show. Downloaded it. It's all show. And it's all a little it's, – it's 20 minutes, and I laugh so hard. Um, and and that's important. So I, what I I guess I, I hope that people are hearing is that you know it, caregiving is difficult, and it feels like we don't have time to have a, this little piece of joy, this little piece of interest. Um, and 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 maybe some people think, oh, I, I, that's too selfish. You know, I need to be taking care of my mom. I need to be taking care of my husband. But you know it. It really that that release and, and and that joy that it brings in your life, you will be a better caregiver. You will provide better care. You'll have better energy uh, if you will just take the time to find that next thing that gives you that lift. You'll be amazed at the difference. And it's a perfect escape. It, that's it. And I think that that maybe that's the word is the escape. That little piece of escape and a little piece of joy, and you'll—if you're doing the Zumba, you're going to be breathing for sure, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, and it, if you're watching a horror series, you know, because there are some American psycho, some of those things that are awful, you know, maybe get your heart rate up, and and, and I don't know, maybe you breathe through that. It doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever it is that interests you, do it. Go out and find it. It's worth it. She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The answer. In just a couple of moments, we're going to welcome Dr. David Petrino on Caregiver SOS On Air. Uh, he is a, a Ph.D. in neuroscience and is deeply involved in high-performance uh, initiatives using technology to help people deal with health care issues, and we will talk to him coming up. The WellMed 
Run Walk for Seniors is coming up on May 6th, and it's at the Mission County Park. Uh, it's a great chance not only to raise money for the Wellman Charitable Foundation to support senior programs, but it's a fun morning. Well, it is. You know, we've got Raulito that's going to be playing, so we're going to be having dancing, running, walking, you know, and you can be a sleepwalker. So if you're out there and you would like to support our caregiver programs, you can sign up to be a sleepwalker, which means you stay in bed, sleep late, don't come. Uh, you pay your entrance fee, and we will get you a sleepy blanket uh, with our logo on it. It's very soft, very plush. If you like the ones that you're getting for World Wildlife Fund, you'll like ours even better. And you mentioned <laughs> when we were talking the other day that you actually have as many sleepwalkers as actual walkers. Well, we have a considerable amount. You know, we we would love for you to come out and, and run and walk with us, but a lot of people who listen to the podcast and to the radio show, you know you can't be in San Antonio on May the 6th to do the run. So why don't you join us? Be a sleepwalker. Support caregiver programs. Support this podcast and this radio show uh, by participating in our run walk and, and sleep. go to caregiversos.org. You can register or at wellmedgives.org. Wellmedgives.org will get you right there to Perfect. the race registration. And we look forward to seeing you there on uh, the morning of May sixth. Uh, I, I want to ask you something. A, a very detailed article in the New York Times the other day that has caused a lot of consternation for folks, mostly older people, who have been saving and preserving all their stuff because they want their kids to have it. And it turns out... The kids don't want it. (laughs) Kids say, no, thank you, Mom. No, thank you, Dad. Uh, I know. I know anyone... You know, I I do have a vivid memory of when my my grandmother um, passed away second. My grandfather passed and my grandmother passed. And all of a sudden, we had the house with all the stuff. And I had this moment of sheer panic. A, we had to physically handle everything in that house no matter how small and make a decision on it which was overwhelming but the other thought was i don't want the stuff (laughs) you know none of us wanted the stuff uh because it was their stuff and it had memory and you know all that silver that my grandmother had and it requires polishing right yes. it was real silver right which is lovely it's exquisite but it tarnishes in a minute but in san antonio oh my less than a minute you know i can't even get it out of the car before it's starting <laughs> to turn black right and so all that polishing you just don't you know for me that wasn't realistic and so the, the sorting of the stuff is a problem and and many of us need to like have a reality check and start asking our relatives um, and, and talking to our older relatives about what we want and, and don't want and what do they want to happen to their stuff. And if they say we want you to have all of it, um, you know, there are some really nice guides out now uh, that you can go online and ask that question. And what it really, you know, what you really have to do if you're dealing with other people's stuff, right. if somebody, if your parents have passed or a spouse or a loved one, you know, those things that you think might be valuable at all. I mean, just, you know, be conservative and, and, and I would say Put more stuff in that pile. Hire somebody to come by and tell you if it has any value. Sure. I know we had a stack of quilts that were my great-grandmother's, and we were convinced, oh, my gosh, handmade quilts belong to my great-grandmother. From the turn of the century, Fort Knox, these are going to be so fabulous, worth just tons. And then we had somebody come by and look at them. She's like, you know what? These are your basic quilts and you know that people made. There's nothing special about them. They really don't have any value. And so have somebody tell you what's valuable, what's not. You know, you want to have the stuff that you definitely want to keep. You definitely want to throw away. You 
you want to sell and the stuff that you've had appraised so that maybe you're not going to put it in the estate sale or the garage sale, that you may want to consign this and send this to a specialized someone to sell for you. Because if you put that that silver I was talking about in a garage sale, somebody's going to go, I'd give you a dollar for that piece of silver. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you're going to cheat yourself. I can remember we had some gold, real gold-rimmed china, and we were desperate to get rid of it, and I sold it for a song. And I know that those people turned around and sold it for a right. chunk, but oh, we sure. just wanted to get it out of the house at that point. Now, you're heading up to Austin, where one of the WellMed trainers is going to be honored. That's right, Damian Temperley, who is our fitness instructor in, at the Austin Senior Community How Center. Cool. Age of Austin is going to be Age, sorry, of South Central Texas. Used we'll to be, be Age honoring, of Austin, right? We'll be honoring him for a spirit award. And you know what? If anybody, I could say, has spirit, it is definitely Damien. So congratulations to him. That's pretty cool. And coming up next, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, David Petrino, and you're going to love this interview. And yes, Carol is here for that. And then it's off to Austin. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Here's an exclusive invitation. Lace it up for seniors. The 5K or 2.5K Run Walk, it's the WellMed Run for Seniors, and it's coming your way Saturday, May 6th, 2017. That's this year. 8 a.m. at Mission County Park Pavilion. Registration just 20 bucks for WellMed employees and their families, 25 per person for others pre-registered, or $30 on-site. And this year, as we have done in the past, a $25 sleepwalker deal. <laughs> you don't have to go. You support seniors with your donation, and you'll even get a blanket for you. All of this for seniors, the well-met run, walk for seniors, food, music, and Rolito Navarra entertaining. All of it at Mission County Park, the day, May 6, 2017, at 8 a.m. I'm Ron Aaron. I hope you join me and others there in the run, walk for seniors. Well, as we were talking in the small world category, our guest is someone that Carol Zernial ran into a couple of weeks ago. David Petrino is a physical therapist, a doctorate in neuroscience, works as a clinician in Australia before he moved to the U.S., and we're going to talk with him about some of the work that he has done. Uh, served as a faculty member at the Weill Cornell Medicine and M- Burke Medical Research Institute. Currently Director of Rehabilitation, Innovation, and Assistant Professor of Rehab Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And David, before we jump to you, Carol, you ran into him a couple weeks ago? Well, r- you know, run- running into him at a at an aging conference, so it wasn't like, like on the street or in the supermarket. Well, I didn't mean to imply that. <laughs> But it was actually had some context. Yes, there was a, a reception, um, and David was at the reception, and somebody said, oh, David's doing all these really interesting things. You really ought to go talk with him. And so I went over and spoke with him and said they were absolutely right. You're doing all these really interesting things, David. So um, tell talk, talk a little bit about what you showed me. You showed me a video on your phone from um, and your work. So talk a little bit about your work and the video that I saw. Uh, sure. You know, uh, I mean, I think in the broadest sense, um, the work that I do is all about using technology to improve people's quality of life, um, using technology to, to help to inform people about their own health and make better choices um, about their own health and, and improve the quality of care. 
um, that, that they have access to. Um, and, and so that actually takes me in a lot of different and interesting directions. So I have projects that range from immersive virtual reality all the way out to robotics and, and sort of everywhere in between. Um, and, I, and I should and, mention uh, that we love robotics on the show. We're always talking about robots. If you uh, listen to us regularly, you would know that I talk about robots all the time. That and naked mole rats. And naked mole rats. If you do any work with them, yes. <laughs> Sounds like so, an amazing show. Yeah. Um, you don't happen to do research with naked mole rats, do you? Unfortunately not. Now I'm starting to wish that I did. If I'd known that was so hot, I, I absolutely would have gotten involved. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so, you know, so, some of the work that I was uh, talking to Carol about was my work with an organization called Not Impossible Labs. Um, I've been working with Not Impossible for about four years, and they, um, they've they definitely given me my, my favorite title. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you listed a few of my, my titles before, but... Uh, Not Impossible Labs calls me their chief mad scientist, um, and that one's kind of stuck over the years. But uh, and that was the we, one they introduced and, you as. I was interested you know, when they introduced it, me. They said, "Here's the chief mad scientist." <laughs> yep, yep. Because uh, I, I think when uh, John Migliaccio uh, got a, got a whiff of the fact that that was what I was called, he he didn't let it go. Um, but. Uh, it, it's been a really exciting role with Not Impossible because uh, what they do is um, they have a very uh, unique approach to fostering disruptive innovation in the field of healthcare and, and medical science. When you say um, disruptive, they, disruptive innovation, you mean? I mean, um, uh, Not Impossible Labs started out with a project called the iRider, where um, a paralyzed artist with ALS was unable to communicate independently um, because he couldn't afford eye tracking technology um, because it cost about $30,000 at the time. They created the iWriter, which was a completely open source, hacked together device that cost $20. Wow. It was materials that you could buy on, you know, online or uh, you know, in a supermarket, and they turned it into an eye tracking and communication device which not only allowed Temp, the locked-in artist, to communicate independently again, but it also allowed him to start drawing again, creating art, um, and getting a lot more fulfillment out of his life. Uh, that, was the sort of, that was the project that really sort of started off Not Impossible Labs. Uh, we, we then moved on to um, creating the world's first uh, 3D printing prosthetics lab, in South Sudan, so we, our team entered an active war zone um, and created a lab full of 3D printers, taught the locals how to, to print and then assemble prosthetics, and uh, created prosthetics that were outperforming very, very expensive upper limb prosthetics um, for $100 worth of materials. Um, and, and through it all, the way that Not Impossible gets their message out is that they, they create a narrative around what they do. Um, and, and it turns out what, what we've learned over, over the projects over the years is that um, telling the story is not only important to get the word out and, and show people what we're doing and teach people that they can disrupt an entire industry, but it also keeps our team engaged because we always pull together a team of people who really have no business doing what they're doing. You know, we, we weren't eye-tracking experts when we created the iRider. We, we were certainly not prosthetics experts when we created the Daniel Arm, as it's now called. And in this latest project that we're working on, 
we're not Parkinson's disease experts, but we've created a device that we think might be able to really uh, change the face of uh, treatment of Parkinson's disease. Hold that thought. Um, we're we're, we're going to come right back to you. We're talking with David Petrino, if you've just joined us. Uh, David is with us on the Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. He is uh, a doctorate in neuroscience who is, uh, as the chief mad scientist of Not Impossible Labs, doing the impossible for people who desperately need that help. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And David, pick that story up now about what you're trying to do to help people with Parkinson's. Uh, absolutely. So um, uh, one of the projects that we took on at Not Impossible was actually something called Music Not Impossible. It came about because the founder of Not Impossible Labs, Mick Ebeling, uh, he was approached by a, a deaf musician um, who said, I love going to music shows, um, but the only way I can experience music is I, I'll, I'll put myself up against the speaker and feel the vibration on my body. Um, I love doing that, but obviously it's not really scalable to bringing it home because my neighbors complain <laughs> if, I, if I turn up my speakers so much that I can feel the music. Can you give me a device that helps me feel the music? Um, and so we, we spent about two years developing this device for him that would allow him to experience music that was broken down and um, into different components and and so now he feels vibration all over the all over his body when when he's playing different uh, different music um, and, and so that was actually the beginning of this project uh, then what happened was uh, a really close friend of mine her her father uh, was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's and she emailed me a link to a story about um, uh, a story that the BBC ran about uh, a, a young lady with Parkinson's who had a tremor and she couldn't. She was an artist and she couldn't draw anymore until they made this specialized wearable for her that somehow took away um, uh, somehow took away the symptoms of her Parkinson's disease. When I looked at the device, it looked a lot like the device that we had been developing that would allow. Um, deaf people to experience music and my friend said do you think you could do something i said absolutely i think that we can for the first time at not impossible rather than sort of hacking together other people's devices into something that does social good i think we can hack together one of our own devices and create something that could do social good so i, I got on the phone with with my buddy who had been building the music not impossible device i said hey can you send over a couple of these uh these wearables for me and uh, we, we put them on um, my friend Gina's dad, uh, Joe. Um, he's an 87-year-old former, you know, former jazz pianist in New York City. And um, the effect was beyond stunning. You know, his tremor completely went away. Uh, he even uh, jumped on the piano and started playing piano again, um, almost perfectly, uh, as, as far as I could tell. He told me that it wasn't perfect, but I can tell the difference. Um, and it was really emotional and really powerful. So, so, um, so this is where I want to jump in because that's exactly the video that you showed me. You know, John Migliaccio, yeah. who's been in aging for a long time, you know, introduced us and said, you got to see this video. And so we went over in the corner and he shows me this video of this man and he's he's got, you know, like the Wonder Woman wristbands that he puts on his wrist, right? And he sits down and there's this long pause. He's sitting and he's looking at the piano and he has on, you know, the devices that you put on him and you can, and everybody's looking at him and he's looking at the piano and then he starts playing. 
And he's and I'm like and I turned into not a dry eye. In I my was house, say, right? and I just melted. I mean, I here I'm at a cocktail party looking at a video on a phone, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, it was this and it was this just amazing moment where his tremors stopped. You know, and and, and being a pianist myself. I can remember some piano competitions where I was so nervous. My hands were shaking so badly, I couldn't hit the keys. Okay, this is elementary school, folks. This is not recently. Um, but I'm so nervous, and I'm thinking, and you haven't God. played the piano I, yeah, since. You know, yeah, really traumatized <laughs> beyond belief. But so I know that feeling of you want your hands to go one place, and they go someplace else. But the thought of that he hadn't played in years, and that all of a sudden the tremor stopped, and he had this moment of being able to play was mind-boggling. How long is that uh, effect, that disruptive effect, good for? So um, we're seeing that so long as the device is on, um, we can continue to get the effect to some degree. Um, and, and this is actually um, after we saw the initial effect um, and, and we started showing it to a few people, we we really couldn't uh, keep people away from the project. Um, and so, you know, it's really exciting that uh, as I've just started my new role at Mount Sinai, the, the School of Rehab Medicine has agreed to take on the project. Um, and we're, we're going to start some some uh, really intensive clinical trials to, to answer that exact question. Um, what is the, uh, across 100 people with Parkinson's, what is the exact uh, what, what is the average degree to which it, it takes someone's tremor away? How long does the, the effect last for? How do we prolong the effect? How do we uh, deliver a dosage that might actually last longer than a few minutes once you turn the device off? Or is it a wearable that you just keep on all the time and, and you, you sort of just walk around with it on? Um, in the meantime, the other thing that's been wonderful is we've been sitting down with, with Joe and his, his wife, Maria, um, and, and they've been telling us everything that they think would make the device better and more usable and, and more accessible for them. All right, hold that thought. That. Yeah, so we're going to, when we come back, I want you to talk about a little bit about the story about the immediate, you know, after I finished crying and then you told me about the reaction of the family. So we'll break and we'll come back and, and I'm going to ask you some questions about how their reaction to the device. David Petrino, our guest on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. You hear us on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. So this is like unbelievable stuff, but it's real, I guess. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, talking with David Petrino, uh, who is uh, has a doctorate in neurosciences, uh, a rehab specialist now at an incredible institution, Mount Sinai, uh, the Icon School of Medicine, where he is associate assistant professor of rehabilitation. And we're talking about a device that, uh, without retelling the first half of the show, uh, for folks who may have Parkinson's, uh, it, it stops the tremors uh, for a period of time. And you experimented on an 87-year-old former jazz mu- musician who hadn't played in years. Suddenly, he is a virtuoso pianist again. When's his new album coming out? <laughs> well, um, you, you know, that, that's where the, the, the story starts to uh, take a turn into the realities of, of designing something for for um for any population really I, I was tempted to say seniors there but um 
One of the most, uh, you know, I, I think one of the most interesting things that I, I learned um, here is, you know, my, my entire life, my entire lab is all about developing technologies for healthcare. Um, and much of that is developing technologies that seniors will use. And I, I think that um, one, of the, one of the things that we often see as, a, 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 as something that's said but isn't quite true is that seniors don't want to use technology. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I, I, I work with a lot of seniors who love technology. And, but what was interesting to me was when, when we finished the amazing session where Joe started playing the piano again and he was very excited, very emotional, um, uh, it, what was interesting was we, we said, you know, Joe, we've got, we've got a hundred of these wearables. Why don't you just keep it? Uh, and we'll leave it with you. And, and he said, well, you know, it's kind of hard to set up and it's noisy and, uh, it's hard to charge. And he goes, maybe, maybe not. You know, you could see he didn't want to hurt our feelings. But he didn't Maria, let it... his wife. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Say what Maria. Oh, uh, Maria, his wife, totally didn't care about our feelings. She was like, I'm not learning to set that thing up. I already do enough for Joe, <laughs> you know. The, the typical caregiver response is, we, we've got a lot on our plate, and I'm not learning another system to to, to sort of set up. To set up. So, um, so let me just stop right there. So, <laughs> you know, that is because you know, I was talking to you, and I'm like, what happened? You know, and I have a, we're riding off into the sunset, right? The music swells, and right off into the sunset, and he lived happily ever after. And then you tell me that they're like, no, not really. You know, this was a magical moment, but your device is a little bit difficult to use, and it was magic, but it's Awkward. not that magic. <laughs> not that magic. Yeah. And so, and so, you had to like your. But what I loved what you told me was that you know that's really what you needed to hear. And instead of being crushed like I would have done and crawled under my desk and cried <laughs> some more again uh, with crying, <laughs> again with the crying, different kind of crying. <laughs> you know, you decided, oh. I better, I better listen to what he's saying. I better, I better fix this to make so, it easier. Oh yes, yeah. We, we're going to write it down. I mean, um, and and that was also the, the really interesting thing about it was, um, again, both Joe and Maria knew so much about technology. You know, Joe, Joe was saying to me, you know, this eighty-seven-year-old man is saying, well, you know, a thing that I don't want is I don't. I don't want to have to, to plug this device in. My hands shake. I don't like plugging devices in. He said, but I've heard about wireless charging. Can you give me wireless charging? And and then he also said, well, I don't like that it makes too much noise. It vibrates, and I, and I can hear it. He said, I need you to make it silent. And he's giving us all of these notes about these are the conditions under which he will use the device. And, and I mean, this is for anyone who develops the product. This is the, when an end user is actually giving you constructive feedback rather than, oh, I don't like it. I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't like it. This is gold. You've got to sit down and start writing furiously and get it down because it doesn't come around very often. So we're incredibly grateful to Joe and Maria, and we continue to be because they're going to be our sort of beta product testers. In my mind, I'm seeing the infomercial with Joe, hands shaking. He straps on the device. He plays Beethoven's Fifth. And you make that available for twenty nine ninety five for easy payments. Yeah, absolutely, and we don't we don't tell people that it, it may not come with the the knowledge of being able to play, play the, piano. the piano. Yeah, yeah, must must know already know how to play the piano before you sit down. Yeah, that would be helpful. Well, the other thing that you you talked about that I found really interesting because I asked the same question about Ron was how effective. So in medication in Parkinson's, 
the you know the dopamine builds up and it becomes less and less and less effective. Or, or I, I probably said that wrong because I'm I'm not a, a medical doctor, but the the drugs become less effective over time. Over time, and you talked about how the same frequency, the same vibration over time would probably suffer the same fate of being less effective. Yeah, so that, that's definitely something that we're concerned about. Um, but uh, one, one of the things that we've read about, uh, uh, you know, since, since we started developing this concept, um, one of the things that we started re- reading about was um, the effect of randomization um, on this stimulus. So um, if, you, if you're providing the same stimulus all the time, the body may habituate to it and get used to it, and it will, it will lose its effect. But if you can start to create a stimulus that is constantly random and can't be predicted by the body, the effect may stay. It's like my garage um, door opener that uh, randomizes the code. Yep, or a, or a, or a jazz pianist who... Uh, <laughs> who randomizes <laughs> everything they play. So, so <laughs> let, let me ask you, because there are people who are listening right now who are waiting for us to give the toll-free number to get a hold of you to get one of these <laughs> units. Now, you're doing applied science that has real application in the real world. What's your fantasy? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I, I do want to, you know, put out the idea that we, we don't want to create false hope here. This is this is something that is in the very very early stages, but it's um, it seems grounded in good science. You know, when when we were reading when we were reading into this, this is these are known phenomena. Um, the idea that randomized sensory inputs can influence symptoms of Parkinson's um, and and what we've really needed is the time where accessible electronics can catch up um, uh, with, with the market where we can you know via the internet of things we can start building all sorts of devices that um, can be effective in this way and can be low cost and accessible and affordable um, so where we're starting right now is that the School of Rehab Medicine at, at Mount Sinai has has committed to helping us run the initial clinical trials um, that we will need to, to really validate the product um, and and really put the effort that we need into uh, creating a smart product design that will be uh, satisfactory to our end users and and really um, uh, and really helpful for uh, easy use and and easy deployment out to the you know millions of people who have Parkinson's disease. Um, and, and you know th- these these processes are, are typically pretty slow. Um, but what we're hoping to do is uh, we're hoping to have our initial clinical trial finished by the end of this year, um, and moving into advanced product design and uh, you know all of the regulatory approvals that we might need, et cetera, et cetera, over the next couple of years after that. So, so this will um, the, the goal is to help people. Uh, with Parkinson's, both with uh, hand movements and walking leg movements as well. Uh, yes. So, so our initial trial is going to focus on hand movements, but we've we've already seen in our in our star um, our star uh, user number one. <laughs> we've already seen in Joe that even when we put uh, the wearable around his ankles, it. it seemed to significantly improve his walking. <laughs> and again, that was something that was. Uh, um, that was uh, consistent with the literature that we were we were looking into. So, um, 
we're excited to see how this progresses. You know, as you know, and Carol, you want to jump in, but I was thinking the psychological impact yes. must be huge. Just that, yeah, the positive. The, yeah, the positive side where you have these uncontrollable tremors, tremors, and all of a sudden you have that peaceful moment where you feel like you're back in control again and, and the tremors are not ruling you. I was seeing Michael J. Fox interviewed recently, right. uh, and, and he'd be someone, you know, once Joe reaches uh, beyond his user date, uh, maybe Michael J. Fox could be your next number one. Joe will yeah, always be I number mean, one. He'll be number two. Number two, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Yep, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so how long are you suggesting this goes on? And uh, we don't have a lot of time left, and I have 8 million questions. And I have a product. <laughs> I have a product I need you as the chief mad scientist to design, which I'll tell you in a moment. But Carol had another question. Well, um, I, on as far as the technology goes, have, have you already started having conversations about other diseases, conditions where this type of technology might be applied besides Parkinson's? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're always thinking about um, spinning off into, into, different, um, into different clinical situations. I think that, in general, vibration is something that, uh, that has been explored a lot, but for some reason doesn't seem to be um doesn't seem to be out there as as a as a therapy as much as it perhaps should be um we we've been looking into applications for um uh for spinal cord injury because there's been some really impressive work done by Reggie Edgerton out at UCLA showing that um vibration on the sole of the feet uh the soles of the feet in individuals with spinal cord injury can can stimulate motion of the legs even in people who were thought to have complete spinal cord injury um we're we're thinking about this in in, in simple treatment for things like essential tremor um and other forms of tremor to see if it can help to attenuate those um but it, it's it's always very exciting and it, and it's easy to sort of run away with these things but well, also, the, the the other thing that's worth noticing is is how hard it is to sufficiently prove one thing. So right. we are definitely trying to focus on Parkinson's for the time being. Right, but right. we're very excited about other applications. Well, before Ron gives you his uh, his workable idea, so I was as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the studies on drumming and Alzheimer's and how the drum beats and vibrations um, seem to improve memory function and, and bring people back sort of the way you've brought uh, some of these Parkinson's people back with their movement. So, uh, you know, maybe one of these days you'll have a drum helmet uh, that can help so stimulate some Parkinson's, some Alzheimer's brains uh, and help them have higher functionings. And that's my idea. And I'll turn it over to Ron to give you another impossible project. <laughs> Well, as the chief mad scientist, you will understand this. Uh, my wife and I just bought a, a new car. Uh, we got three tiny little kids, twins who are three, and a little girl who's five. So we need room for a lot of car seats. And in our SUV last night, pulling into the garage, I, I dinged the side of the car. What I needed was an alert that said, stop, stop. Oh, they have those in the cars, right? But not, no, it has to be retrofitted because my car doesn't have that. Oh, yours old. 
So give right, me a retrofit. On, work on mine first. You get I want mine first. <laughs> I want you to work on mine first, David. <laughs> <laughs> He's worried about his car. I'm worried about humanity One last here. quick question. You, you, <laughs> you're mentioning vibration. Uh, I was thinking initially as you talked that it was more like a, a tensor unit that was electrical stimulus. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, not not electrical stimulation. It's actually vibrotactile cool. stimulation. So it's it's actual vibrations. Yeah. I like that. Well, you know, you've just made our imaginations run wild. And sorry, yes. we lost it here at the very end of the interview. We went off into the Netherlands. Um, but we would love to have you come back <laughs> sure. and tell us how your clinical trials are going and what your next big idea is. It's just fascinating work. And, and is there a website people can follow some of the work you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, if you're interested in seeing um, what my lab is up to, we, you can follow us on Petrino Lab on Facebook or at Petrino Lab on both Twitter and Instagram. We have a lot of really cool content that we post um, as often as we can. Uh, you can also check out uh, Not Impossible Labs at www.notimpossiblelabs.com to see all of the really cool projects that we have going on there um, because... The, the Parkinson's project is super exciting, but we, we have a bunch of other really great projects that we're getting off the ground. And and uh, if you're if you're interested in this sort of thing, uh, definitely worth a look. Got to stop you right there, Chief Mad Scientist David Petrino. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you, I'm David. glad you ran into him at a cocktail party. I know. It's great. Cool. Thank you. It's great I'm, having you. I'm Ron Aaron <laughs> for Carol Zerniel. Take 10 is next on 930 AM, The Answer. Here's an exclusive invitation. Lace it up for seniors. The 5K or 2.5K Run Walk, it's the WellMed Run for Seniors, and it's coming your way Saturday, May 6th, 2017. That's this year. 8 a.m. at Mission County Park Pavilion. Registration just 20 bucks for WellMed employees and their families, 25 per person for others pre-registered for $30 on site. And this year, as we have done in the past, a $25 sleepwalker deal. <laughs> you don't have to go. You support seniors with your donation, and you'll even get a blanket for you. All of this for seniors, the well-met run, walk for seniors, food, music, and Rolito Navarra entertaining. All of it at Mission County Park, the day, May 6, 2017, at 8 a.m. I'm Ron Aaron. I hope you join me and others there in the run, walk for seniors. Thank you so much for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each of our programs, we jump to Take 10, where we kick around a topic with one of our experts, Dr. Jimmy Heisman, uh, who is with us uh, more often than not on special assignment. And we're delighted to have Rundy Purdy joins us. Uh, join us. He is an author, uh, wrote a book about his experience caregiving for his granddad, uh, beginning at the young age of 24 and what that was like for the next 13 years or so. And we're delighted, Rundy, to have you on with us. Carol Zerniel uh, is on special assignment, and so it's just you and me, Guy. Hey, glad to be here. When you were caring for your granddad and when you began that process, uh, certainly he had dementia, as you knew, uh, but he was fairly functional, and, and you, you did the things you had to do. Uh, my interest in, in this segment on Take 10 is to talk about how you dealt with the knowledge that uh, had to hit you at some point that granddad is going to pass away soon. Yeah. Well, there was two stages to that. Since I knew going into the caregiving experience that 
Alzheimer's has currently no cure, I knew going in that my grandfather was going to pass away. And so there was the more abstract knowledge that I had to deal with beginning the journey that I'm taking care of somebody who's going to eventually die. And then there was the second stage when we got to the end and my grandfather was actually dying, and which was much more a visceral time in which I had to cope with that reality. In the more abstract sense, I just kind of had to process the idea that, yes, our loved ones will die. Yes, I'm caring for somebody who is mortal and is not going to get better. But I could kind of be a little bit philosophical about it when it was just an abstract issue. When my grandfather reached the final stage of Alzheimer's and I knew he was dying, it didn't matter what I told myself about how this is the way life goes, we all die in the end, et cetera, et cetera. It was very emotional. And I would say for anybody, part of the coping, part of the way of dealing with it is some form of denial. Uh, some people, it's denying that they're actually dying. In my case, it wasn't so much that as just taking all the things that I felt and putting them into a box that I didn't want to deal with right now because I was so busy trying to cope with the reality of somebody in my presence, in my care, who was dying. Now, as you think back to but that, was it I, a slow realization, or uh, did you and he wake up one day and you said, oh, my God, uh, we're near the end? Both. I knew, like, six months before he passed, I knew we were getting close. But I was kind of in denial for how close. I thought, okay, we have six more months. So I, I was willing to admit they were getting close to the end. What were you but seeing? Then, what were you saying that uh, triggered those thoughts in your mind? Oh, in his case, he was having increasing difficulty eating, and he was losing weight. And I knew that at some point he was going to stop eating entirely. He was already getting very much in the state where he was refusing to eat, and I had to try really hard to get him to eat anything. So I knew eventually he would not eat, and that that was just where Alzheimer's ends, so he no longer can, can eat. So I knew that was coming at some point. But I gave myself six months, and then one day I got up, and my grandfather absolutely refused to eat. And he was just sleeping on the couch. I tried to come up, he just go back to sleep, refused eating. And then I realized, oh, this is the end. And so I had kind of lived in denial exactly how bad we were, and it, it had to be the moment when he finally absolutely, beyond all persuasion, would not eat anything more that I realized we'd hit the end. And that's where really processing began, when I had to start telling other people, uh, Grandpa is dying now. If you want to see him for the last time, you need to come. And for me, I had to process it by writing about it. Being a writer, I, I had to kind of look squarely into the, into the picture, look squarely into what was happening, and, and tell myself what I saw. And for me, how I came to terms with it was realizing that in the end, we should live no differently towards people who are dying than we should live towards people who are living. And that was when I wrote an essay called How to Say Goodbye, which I write about how the best way to say goodbye to someone is to love them, and the best way to love people is the same way all the time, and not just love them somehow specially and different at the end. So I kind of processed and came to accept my grandpa's death by recognizing how I ought to live always and how that impacted how I ought to live at the end. But for everybody, it's very unique and different. So I would never tell anybody else you need to process it the way I did. But I would say that you talk about 
how we grieve after someone's gone. You have the five stages of grief. But I would say for a caregiver who knows they're caring for someone who is dying, that there's a certain kind of grief you go through before they're dead, before they're dying, where you reach acceptance, and finally you can accept that they are dying and then let them go. And then, unfortunately, you have a whole other kind of grief after they're gone. Now, hold that so thought. I, I, hold that thought. going to come sure. right back to you. We're talking sure. with Rundy Purdy on Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air. Rundy, an author and caregiver, cared for his grandpa until he died, and then for his grandmother until she passed away. Uh, Rundy Purdy is with us on our Caregiver SOS on Air hotline. Lives in upstate New York where <laughs> the snow was still coming a, a week or so ago, you said. Yeah, back in March. Wow. Well, I went uh, to Colgate University in Hamilton, New York, many, many years ago, and yeah, I remember snow in March. Not a surprise, right? Yeah, it wasn't, but the amount was kind of a little bit overwhelming. Now, let's come back to grief, and and you were talking about uh, identifying uh, at a point where you saw your grandfather was eating less and less, uh, less and less motivated to... uh, uh, suffering from Alzheimer's, of course, but uh, unable to do even the things that you had been doing with him before. Uh, but you wanted to okay. treat him no different than when uh, you weren't near the end. What does that mean in real life? What were you doing uh, to try to keep that same pattern of behavior? Well, it's easy at the end with Alzheimer's to feel like the person isn't there. And so... I tried to treat him as if he was still there, even though his ability to communicate was so diminished. So even at the last, in the last week, for example, when he was no longer even waking up, I still put earphones on him and played uh, the Bible on, uh, well, MP3 player in that case. I had him play the audio Bible for him or music. Even though he was no longer being responsive, I still did things I knew that he had enjoyed when he was still present and able to communicate. So things like that where, where, you know, I still tried to make him comfortable. I still tried to talk to him. I sat with him. All those things you do with somebody when they're still present and able, I did when he was no longer present. Now, you had fallen, you'd fallen into caregiving uh, at a very young age. Uh, as you began to, to reach the end, as you finally acknowledged that uh, he's not going to be around much longer, did you reach out at all to uh, get advice from, uh, from others, from a primary care physician or a psychologist? Uh, well, his primary care physician had told me, we had a, had a real frank conversation, and she said, we both know where this is going to end. When you need hospice, call me. So the door was very open there, but because I didn't really admit how close we were to the end until about a week before it all came down, I didn't get hospice as soon as I should have, right. which I always advise other people, get hospice as soon as you can. But at that last week, I did call hospice, and they did come in, so we did have experts on hand for the last few days. Um, I'm a really private person, so for me personally, I process grief and loss very privately and kind of try to write my way through it. So I didn't, for myself, reach out to anybody. Besides, obviously, I talked to my family and kind of processed things with my own siblings and parents. But I didn't reach out for any real professional help for myself. Um, for some people, that is really important. But it's all kind of depends upon what you're like personally and what helps you process things. Is there anything you would have done differently? You did mention bringing hospice in earlier. What else might you have done? Um, I think I probably would have 
if I could have, I would have recognized it sooner so that it wasn't such a sudden load at the very end. And I would have talked with people about it a little bit sooner. So everybody in the process was able to let go in a little less hurried way. But the big one is definitely having hospice here sooner because it was such a relief to have people who knew the process, right. knew it was happening, to be there. But it's just generally to talk about it, to deal with it sooner rather than waiting to uh, deal with it in the last seven days. Rundy Purdy, we're out of time on Take 10. If folks want to get a hold of your book, uh, The Sea is Wide, how do they do that? Well, you can find a link to get it on my website, caregivingreality.com. But you can also go, of course, to Amazon.com, where it is readily accessible. Rundy you can Purdy. also special order at your local bookstore. Thank you. Take care. Got to go. I'm Ron Aaron on 930 AM, The Answer, Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.